Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast, a weekly listen-in to the Sunday morning service of Bridge Church in Dayton, Ohio. I'm excited for this series. I'm excited for us to, to start talking about this. We've been, you know, looking at it and thinking about it for a while. And, um, of course, it's, uh, you know, right around Valentine's Day and everything that we would start talking about love and marriage and, and do this right it, it's it's kind of what we do but this isn't just a series for like people who are married it's for people who maybe want to be married in the future it's for people who are maybe looking and going am I sure that I want to be married it's like all of these things kind of wrapped into one and and I think that one of the the places that I uh, I remember that set this idea completely off in my mind um, is actually from a movie in 2007 how many of you guys have seen Juno the movie Juno yeah, it's, it's, it's an older movie. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, 13 years is plenty of time for you to see the movie. Um, and so I don't feel bad if I spoil it for you right now. Um, <clears throat> uh, the basis of the story of Juno is a teenager who she gets pregnant by a boy who's not really her boyfriend, kind of her boyfriend sort of thing. So, so that part of her life is kind of a mess. She decides then to... Um, to keep the baby, to have the baby, and that she's going to give the baby up for adoption. And she meets a couple along the way and decides to do this private adoption thing. And so she thinks this couple is good. She has a lot in common with the, uh, with, with the man, you know, like music choices and stuff like that. And, and they really kind of hit it off. And she sees the woman as someone that would just really love a child well. And so um, she, she really like connects with them and is was willing to give them her child. Well, eventually she finds out that their relationship is kind of a mess and and the man, you know, kind of like hits on her as a child and is wanting to leave his wife to go with this teenager. Like it's it's really a mess. Like it's that relationship is really a mess. And and then she looks at her own family and her mom and dad are divorced and even though it's kind of an amicable amicable divorce like they're not together and and it's kind of a mess as well and it, it's something that, uh, you know, kind of fell apart. And Spence, that doesn't matter right now, buddy. Um, so partway through the movie, Juno has this conversation, this awesome conversation with her dad, who, like, by the way, is handling this whole situation a thousand times better than I think I would handle this whole situation. It's handling better than I think a majority of the population of the world would. Like, she asks, she sits down with her dad and she asks her dad this profound question that I remember like getting me, you know, thinking at the time because you know I'm working with teenagers and I'm around kids that are going through stuff like this. I just remember it getting me thinking at the time, and and the context with which she asks asks this question to her dad, like. It matters, you know, but it does, it's not the thing that just makes this a great question. I think that this is just a great question no matter what, you know, and this is a question that I think we should all, like, ask ourselves. Here's, here's what she said. She asked her dad. She said, I, I guess I wonder sometimes if people ever stay together for good, like people in love. She's sitting down. She's having this heartfelt conversation with her dad. She says, you know, I guess I just wonder, like, do people really stay together for good, like people in love? And then a little bit later in, in the conversation, she says it this way. She says, Dad, I just need to know that it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever. 
She looks around her and she says, Dad, it didn't work out for you and Mom. It's not working out, you know, with this couple that I thought, like, they had what I wanted and what I wanted for my baby. And so far, it's not working out all that great for me, you know, in this relationship with this guy and what is it and everything. And, and she's basically asking herself, am I kidding myself? Am I kidding myself? Is this even possible for someone to stay in love and stay together forever? And I think for all of us, you know, if we're honest deep down inside, like at some point in our lives, and I, and I think it's getting earlier and earlier with kids in their lives that they're starting to ask this question, I, I think we've asked this question at some point in our lives. I think we've looked and asked this. In, in spite of, of, of what we've seen, in, in spite of, of the condition of maybe your current marriage or what you experienced in a previous marriage, in spite of maybe what you saw in your parents' marriage, in spite of culture, uh, in spite of the divorce rate that's all around us, all the things that would make us think that it's not possible. There's something inside of us that, that still believes that this is. There's something in us that believes that it's possible for two people to stay not just together, you know, but like to stay in love forever. And even if we just want it to be possible, not, not just possible, but possible for us. You know, we're, we're gonna, we, we think that we're going to be like the old and gray and going down the hallway and walkers hand in hand with the person, you know, headed to the cafeteria, you know, in, in the old folks' home. And that, you know, the in love people that everybody looks at. Like, that's the story that we all want to write, that we're going to grow old together and be the cute old couple that's bent over and sitting on a bench feeding the birds and doing stuff. Like, that people will look at us and say, wow, like, they're still in love, we think that it's possible, despite our culture, despite what maybe we've experienced. And why is that? Why is that? Well, I don't have a Bible verse for this. I don't, I don't have a place that I can point to this. But, you know, it's, it's kind of just my opinion based off of what I know about God. But I think this is God's heart, like, for us. I think this is what he wants for each and every one of us. So our answer to the Juno question is, yeah. It's possible. But though I think it's possible, I'm just not sure that it's probable. It's, it's possible that this can happen. I'm just not sure how probable it is. And I think it's possible, and I think it's even like possible for me, but will it happen? I hope so. You know, I, I think that it could. Now, we need to take about 10 seconds um, to talk about falling in love, right? Because that's, that's all it's really going to take. Falling in love, like, has a requirement, and, and it's really only one requirement for falling in love, and falling in love, it just takes a pulse. That's all you need to fall in love. If you have a pulse, you can fall in love with someone. Some people fall in love with people that they've never met in their life. They turn on the television, they see somebody that's an attractive person, their heart beats really wildly, you know, whatever, and, and even though they've never met them, and like, I'm so in love, you know, like, I love this person, if I could ever meet them. It's why online dating services and apps and things are so popular. I don't know if you know this, but as of 2019, there are 2,000 online dating services in the U.S. alone. There's 8,000 of them worldwide. And the interesting part of this is that's less than it was about like five years ago because a lot of them didn't make it. For a few bucks a month, 
one of these sites or an app or something will help you create a profile and will help you connect with a person who has a similar profile to you, things that you have in common, and you can swipe left or you can swipe right. And, you know, it's just never been easier, you know, than ever to fall in love. But I'd argue, and I think that you'd agree with me, that although that it's never been easier to fall in love, that the opposite of that is that it's never been harder to stay in love. Though it's never been easier to fall in love, it's never been harder to stay like truly in love. And yet, that's what we all really want. That's what we all really desire in our relationships. And we still think that it's possible. So we're looking around and thinking, you know, like that we'll find the one. Because there's something in us that that wants to finish life with that special person. We don't want to just like be in a relationship. Like we, we don't want to just survive the years. We want to be in love, like deeply in love. That's the things that, that we celebrate, right? If, if romantic comedies went on a little bit longer, they have to hurry up and, and turn them off really fast because eventually there's going to be another fight and they're going to you know, go through something and probably break up. You know, like they have to turn off a romantic comedy when everything is good. But it's getting more and more difficult to really like stay deeply in love with someone. And there are several reasons why. You know, part of it is what you saw growing up, the family that you grew up in, what you were around, what you saw there, like that affects you, that affects me, that affects the way that we see relationships. Part of it is is what you've experienced around you. You know, you know the truth is that very few people have been around a healthy, romantic, you know, marital relationship. Few people have ever seen anything like that. So, so part of it is what you've experienced in your life from people that you've been around, from maybe relationships or marriages or anything that you've been in. And, and, I, and what I mean in that is like tracking with it over the course of years, not just seeing something and going, man, like that looks really good, but really tracking with it through like the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads all the way through. They're like really, really digging in with a healthy marital relationship. And because of this, it makes it almost impossible for us to have a love well done. Makes it almost impossible. Because, I mean, most of us grew up with do unto others um, as they deserve to be done unto. Right? Most of us grew up that way. We, we grew with, you know, do unto others as they do unto you, which that's not even right. We, we, we grew up with, like, do unto others as your mood would have it. We don't like to admit that, but that's, that's closer to the truth many of the times. We grew up with, like, do unto others as, um, as to get them to see it your way. I'll, I'll do for you as long as you'll get to see this my way and come around to my side. Or, you know, or do unto others until you wear them down and get your way. Or do unto others uh, until you're ready to leave. And I'm done with this. As you think about relationships that you've tracked with your life, people may stay together, but our assumption many times is that they're not really in love as we look at them. And, and we look at that and it's like, that's just not what I want. That's not what I want in life. There, it's people just kind of like serving their time if they stay together at all. And consequently, what we see and what we have seen growing up, what's been modeled for us, it's made us like ill-equipped for a love well done. 
we've never really seen a love well done. And yet, still, that's what we want. The other thing that makes this difficult is what we felt growing up. A long time ago, a bunch of really smart people from you know, Harvard and even MIT and all these places, like they all got together and um, they made a list of what it takes for a child to grow up in a very nurturing environment and to leave their adolescence to be equipped to engage in healthy relationships in their future. So they made this big, long list. In other words, this is what it would take. So this list I'm going to show you, this is what it would take for a, for a person to grow up and be fully emotionally, and, and we're going to talk about emotions a little bit more in this series, fully emotionally engaged in long-term relationships. This is all that it takes. This is what a kid needs for healthy future relationships. Respect, and we're talking about like major, major doses of this. Respect, like constant respect in everything that they're doing. Encouragement, in, you know, in everything that they're a part of. That is, it's a, just a totally encouraging environment ever. You never really say a disparaging comment to them. Comfort, like that everybody's here and nobody's leaving. You know, like that, that comfort. Everyone's here, nobody's leaving. Don't worry about it. You know, support, so that every time that anything comes up, like I've got your back and we're here for you. Don't worry about it, buddy. Like we've got you here. Just constant, constant support. Acceptance, which is so hard to come by in our life, but they need massive doses of acceptance. They need massive doses of approval in their lives that, that we're approving in the things that they're doing and, and setting them up for life. Appreciation, that, that the child is being appreciated for the things that they do and, and for the ways that they act and all the things that go on. Attention, which we all know that children are attention hogs, you know, from, from a very young age. They're constantly trying to get our attention, you know, even if it's just a whine or a cry. They're constantly trying to get our attention, and then they need tons and tons and tons of affection. Sounds just like the family we all grew up in, right? That's what it takes. And if that's what it takes, if that's what's needed to, you know, to feel as we're growing up to set us up, what are the odds of any of us being able to maintain or even possibly thrive in a love that is well done in our lives? Especially when ultimately we connect with people that we want to be in these relationships with who probably didn't get all of this. And then you have to mesh all that together. So what then happens is that we come into adulthood looking for someone who can give us all of this stuff. We come in at a deficit looking for someone who's going to give me the respect that I didn't get as a kid, who's going to encourage me in every little thing that I do and, and just make me feel like amazing, who's going to comfort me, I'm here, I'm not going away, who's going to give me security and support and acceptance and approval and appreciation and attention and affection. Like, I'm wondering if you're going to give me this stuff or are you just cute? Because once we're in love, what started as a hug around the neck becomes a stranglehold. Give me what I need. I need all these things. I started, I came into this at a deficit. So you need to help me catch up. And I just wonder why you're not so cute anymore. Like what happened? 
And all of a sudden, those things that created this emotional energy inside of us where we couldn't stay away from each other, and I just got to, you know, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, you know, like all those things that were there, somehow it starts to fade away. Part of what makes this so hard is, is what we felt or what we haven't felt as we've grown up. Here's a dis- kind of disturbing statistic. Approximately like 35% of children in the United States right now under 18 years old live in a single parent home. Now let me explain why this is disturbing. And, and not only do they grow up in a single parent home, but they have no meaningful relationship with the other parent. So 35% of of kids under the age of 18 right now are growing up in a single-parent home, and they don't have a meaningful relationship with the other parent. And we can argue like all day about parts of the statistic and and about single-parent homes, and and I know a lot of people are doing the very best that they can, and some people like thrive and do amazing. Like we have tons of stories that we could tell. But if this is what it takes to be like emotionally ready for future relationships— there's a large chunk of our society that's going to struggle because this would be hard for two people to be healthy and to give a child or multiple children, let alone one person. And that's assuming that the ones with parents, that they are in a healthy relationship that is nurturing the remaining 65% of our society which we all know that that's probably not true. And this is no one's fault. This is no one's fault in this. This is just a reality. So you're equipped to fall in love. We all have a pulse. Everybody's still sitting up. I haven't had to call 911. You know, we're all equipped to fall in love, but I think many of us are ill-equipped to stay in love and to build and nurture a love well done over the course of our lives. And there's one more thing that makes this really difficult, and I know this is a lot of like setup, but we have to do this. This is a big, long series, and it's all going to go together. Our culture, and you know this, right? You know this, you've realized this, you've seen this. Our culture has a low threshold for pain, has a really low threshold for pain, which means it doesn't have to hurt too bad before I'm going to decide to get out. It doesn't have to hurt too bad before I'm going to decide I'm out. I'm done. That's enough. Gone are the days of I said I do, and that means I'm going to keep doing, you know, whether I like it or not. Gone are the days of we, we I dude, so we do, and that's what we do, right? Those days are, are kind of gone. Plus, in our culture, the message that we get every day from everything that kind of entertains us and everything that is around us is if you're not happy in your current relationship, it's because you're with the wrong person. You're just with the wrong person. You chose poorly. You need to re-choose. You need to reboot. You need to get out. You need to start over. And if you'll just keep looking around for the perfect person, the perfect person, the perfect person, just keep looking, eventually you'll find the right person and it'll all come together. This doesn't mean that there's not times that that's true, but but there are so many people that go over and over and over and it's constantly just like, well, I must have got the wrong person. Our culture has become so much about 
finding the right person, the myth of finding the right person. But if you've talked to people who've been married 20 plus years and are still in love, the people that you look at and say, man, that's what I want in my marriage as time goes on, they'll tell you that there were times along the way that they wondered if they had the right person. They'll tell you that. There are times along the way that I wonder, do I have the right person? Did I choose poorly? But they'll continue and they'll tell you, but I decided that the person I chose was going to be the right person. And we're glad that we did. We're glad that we worked through all this stuff. Because listen, guys, choosing the right person is part of it. The choice, it's why we like lament and think and worry and are anxious about that over our kids. Man, are they going to get the right person? Are they going to find the right person? God, help them find the right person. Help them get the right person. You know, don't bring the wrong person into my family. You know, like that, this why we, it's why we think about all this stuff. That is part of it. But becoming the right person is the rest of it. Becoming the right person is the rest of this. And it's the part that we get no help with from our culture. Zero help with. Now, if we stop there, odds are, you know, you want to end with someone and you want to stay in love forever. Our odds are you don't disagree with any of this. Like, yeah, I want to stay in love. I want to be in love. I want to have, you know, that, that old person walking down the hallway in love, sitting on the bench. Everybody's like, oh, cute little couple. But I'm telling you, the odds are against you. It's possible, but it's not probable. And aren't you glad at this point that I don't just say, Hey, let's pray and I'll see you next week. <laughs> like, so encouraging, John. So glad that I came. Here's the good news, though. Into all of that chaos that is there, that tension that we feel in this, and we all have it, we all have stories from our parents or our previous relationships or marriages or things, like into that chaos, um, Jesus speaks. A voice from 2,000 years ago cuts through the silence and cuts through the awkwardness. And he gives us in this a foundation for the enduring, love-well-done relationships that we all want. Those romantic, in love, can't wait to get home in the afternoon, can't wait to hear the garage door open kind of loves that we want to have. And whether you're in that now and want to keep it, or you're in a relationship and you want to get it there, or you're just looking for future relationships and you want to know how to make that happen, how to set yourself up to be in that place, Jesus says something that is so very simple, but it's so very counterintuitive to our culture. This, this thing that he's going to say is true north on the relational compass for our lives. And you're going to be tempted to say, John, like, I've heard that before. Give me something that's more rich and meaty and practical. Like, give me something else that's here. You know, I've got my husband here. I've got my wife here. You know, you're recording this today. I can let them listen to it later. Like, you know, let me, like, give me something meaty here. This is your moment. Like, go for it. And again, don't take my word for this. If you find the people that you're looking at, you know, and, and they're at an age that's older than you, and you're like, that's where I want my relationship to be when I'm their age. You know, if you find those people and you talk to them, you will find that they have accepted the simple teaching of Jesus, whether they knew it or not. Well, whether they are followers of Jesus or not, they've accepted this very simple teaching of Jesus into their marriage. So this is John 
13, 34, and, and there's just really like one verse that I want to look at here today. Um, but Jesus comes in and, and he, he gives them, he says, a new command I give you. He's like, hey, you know, guys, you've got the Ten Commandments. You've got like 600 plus other commandments to support the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you a new one. And actually, it's not new, and, 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 and the little word there that, that comes out as a new, a new command that I give you, you it, could actually, it could also be translated as extraordinary, an extraordinary command I give to you. And it may be extraordinary because it's like basically upending everything else, and he's saying like, this is the thing that matters. And here's the command. He says, love one another. To which you're like, is that it? You know, seriously, like love one another. You know, John, you needed to study harder. Did you have a hard week? You know, is there a lot of stuff that's going on? You're just telling us to love each other. Like, come up with something here, buddy. You know, like give us something. You know, give us something real. But listen to me. Listen, 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 listen. Listen to what Jesus does here. Jesus takes a word that we normally use, and Cam talked about this a little bit earlier in our prayer. Jesus takes a word that we normally use as a noun, and he uses it here as a verb. It's a command. It's a new command. I want you to go and love one another. And I know love is something that you fall into like a pool and out of like a high chair, you know, like, and I realize that we use love like a noun all the time, but Jesus says, I'm making this a verb. I think about like Jesus doing couples counseling and, and it would have consisted of like, hey, are you loving her? Uh, hey, are you loving him? Well, you know, she does this and she does that and, and he does this and he does that and it gets on my nerves and everything. Well, are you loving him? Are you loving her? Well, I used to, Jesus. No, no, no. Used to is for a noun. I want you to go home and verb like, Love each other. You don't use two verbs. Jesus would say, like, I'll fix your relationship. I want you to go home and love one another. But we don't love one another. Well, well you should. You're married. You're confusing noun and verb with each other, Jesus would say. You're telling me that you're not feeling it. Well, I want to help you ultimately feel the love, but you have to do it first. You have to do it to feel it. You want to feel it so you think, you know, when did I feel it? When was the last time I felt love? Well, it was when I first like met them. Is when I first met this new person. Well, maybe if I met a new person, I would feel it again. But Jesus is saying, if you want a love well done, you need to quit treating love like a noun and you need to just start treating love like a verb. If you want a love well done, you, have to, you need to quit treating love like a noun, and you have to start treating it every day over and over again like a verb. So I want you to go home, Jesus says, and I want you to love one another. And here's the bottom line. You know, here's, here's kind of the bottom line of this. And, and this is just the beginning of this whole series. Like, we're going to talk about a whole lot of more aspects about this over the course of these four weeks. But those of you, you know... And, and, and those of you that are going to like on Marriage Refresh Weekend with us, you're going to get a crash course on this. But here, here's, here's kind of the bottom line of this whole thing. The foundation of a love well done is to make love, pause, a verb. 
You didn't see what I did there. <laughs> the foundation of a love well done is to make love, pause, a verb. You see, I got you there, but you're going to remember it now because you're going to be like, ha, make love. You know, like, it's just fun to say in a church service like this. The foundation of a long-lasting love well done is making love into a verb. The goal isn't to recapture a feeling. This is important. Don't miss this. The, the goal here isn't to recapture a feeling. Jesus doesn't, he's not really worried about you recapturing a feeling. In a relationship, the feelings are the caboose of the train. I understand it started out as the engine and it got everything revved up like, ooh, look at there, and I'm feeling something, all the tingles, and it's really nice. And, you know, what's you doing? How you doing over there? You know, like, it starts out as the engine, but in a mature relationship, in a very mature relationship, one that is a love well done, you have to take that feeling and it becomes the caboose. Everything else matters more. In fact, I'll tell you something, as long as you promise to not tell anybody else. The more you make love a verb, the more you make love. You didn't hear it from me. <laughs> Somebody back here with you. <laughs> the, more, the more you make love a verb, the more you make love. But you didn't hear that from me. So here's what Jesus says. I want you to learn how to actively love one another. Love is something that you do. And when two people who at some point have been in love or are in love, when they actively love one another, it rekindles, it enriches the in love part of the relationship. But it doesn't stop there. And maybe this is the new, maybe this is the extraordinary part of the command. He wraps it up by saying, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, don't take your cue from culture. Not, not that there aren't any redeemable like qualities of relationships or anything in culture. It isn't all bad, right? We, we can lament it, but it isn't all bad. I don't necessarily want you to take your cue from your parents. They maybe have survived. They've stayed together. They're still in the same house together. They've got a lot of years that they can claim and put on the wall and everything. But have they thrived, Jesus is saying. I want you to have a thriving love well done. I want you to, you know, I want what you want in your life. A thriving love that in the end will be celebrated for being done so well. When you think about what it's like to love like a verb, Jesus says, look at me. And if you will allow me, I'll teach you how to love, Jesus says. Not be in love. You've got a pulse. You're good. Anybody can fall in love. I want to teach you how to stay in love for a lifetime. But if it's going to happen, love must be a verb. To have a love well done, you have to make love a verb. Well, years later, Paul comes along and he says something about this same idea, but he says it in a way that's very uncomfortable to us. 
he uses the S word when he does this, a word that's gotten a lot of Christians in trouble because they've kind of misused this idea for a lot of years. It's been misused with like 50% of our population in the United States and, and in Christendom and everything else. And, and we're going to talk about this more in weeks and stuff that are coming. Like next week, we're going to talk about this a lot more. This word that Paul uses is so offensive that, that we've discounted everything he said because of this one word that he uses in the way that he talks about this. But this statement that Paul's about to make, uh, and I want to look at today, is for everyone, and it will make you go, whoa, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about this. But I'm telling you, it's the very exact same thing, and it's a powerful illustration of what Jesus meant when he said, love one another, verb. It's a very powerful illustration of this. So here he goes. Prepare yourself. He says in S word right off the bat, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the same as love one another. Paul just put a barb on it, right? He put like, he put something sharp and sticky on it that, that makes us go, ah, we like cringe up. We don't like the word in any place in our life. But here's what it means. The starting block for people who want to stay in love and have a love well done and to end with a love that is, is well done and lived out well is mutual submission. Submit to one another. Mutual submission is, is that part in our relationship that I look and I say, you're the priority. But you look at me and you say, no, 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 you're the priority. No, 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 you're the priority. No, I insist, you're the priority. No, you're the priority. You know, back and forth, back and forth. No, you're the priority. No, you, you first. No, you first. The biggest conflict in this type of relationship is who's going to like, get to be first and who's, go you know, who's going to take priority. And I'm saying, you know, I'm saying you and you're saying me, not like, Hey, I go first. No, I go first. No, I go first. Like that's, those are the relationships that it goes wrong. No, you go first. Not each of us fight for first place, but it's a race for second in these types of race relationships. And I don't know if you've ever seen that in a marriage. I don't know if you've ever seen that in a, in a relationship, but when you do, it is rare and it is powerful. It's what we look at and say, I want that right there. Because someone has a no, like you go first mentality. And even if you don't like make me the priority, I'm going to make you the priority. It changes the complexity of the entire relationship. When two people get that going on, love is alive and well in that relationship. It's so rare that very few of us have ever even seen it or sniffed it or maybe even heard of it. But when you see it, you say, that's what I want. And we basically called this, we would teach teenagers this idea a lot, and we would teach this to them as, this is a submission competition. You're getting into a submission competition with the person that you're in a relationship. No, you first, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first. You may never get into the building because you're holding the door for like the rest of your lives, but it's okay because it's a submission competition. No, you first, let me get the door. Well, let me get the door for you. No, 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 let me get the door for you. And you're holding up two doors, like a submission competition. 
we'll talk about this a lot in like the next few weeks. And Paul is going to like go into really deep detail specifics of this for men and for women individually. But that's the beginning of this. Love, actively, verb, one, another. Specifically through submission. You actively placing yourself there, not because of gender, not because of financial gain or status, not because of the importance factor in the relationship or anything, but just placing yourself in submission to the other person and them doing it to you. It's a choice you make regardless of who you are, who you're related to, whatever else that is going on. I'm choosing to place myself under you as you try to place yourself under me, and you're thinking, that doesn't even work, John. You know, that doesn't even make any sense. And I know, but I'm telling you that it's powerful. It's incredible. And when you can get here, this is the recipe for a love well done. Not just staying married, but staying in love. One of the greatest things I've gotten to experience in my life being a part of teenagers' lives for, you know, like 12, 15 years, something like that, is teaching them these principles as they're growing up. And every once in a while, um, I got to see a couple of kids who would come, you know, from families and stuff where the odds were stacked against them. But I got to see, you know, in some of them that as they would lean into this stuff, that it would start to make a big difference in their lives. And every now and then I get to see the story play out over the course of a lot of years. Well, um, back many, many years ago now, probably back around the time that Juno came out, um, I met this young couple and I got a hold of them and I asked them if I could share their story today. And their names are uh, Chance and Demi. And they met when they were in like eighth grade, uh, just cute little kids. And, and they were friends, even though if you kind of look at these eyes, he thinks about her a lot differently than she thinks about him at this point. And so he had a super huge crush on her, but he was a skinny little kid that everybody kind of overlooked and everything. She was the popular girl that was a cheerleader and played softball and everybody loved and everybody wanted to be and, and everything else. And, but he had a huge crush on her. Chance came from a family that the, his parents had been divorced for a long time. It was really dysfunctional. He hadn't seen anything like this. It had really scarred him, even at the point that he was in eighth grade. At this point in time right here, Demi was from a family that on the outside, everything looked perfect. They had a lot of money. The family just looked to be like perfectly put together, just very different lives. As time went on, though, Chance kind of grew up and grew into his own, and all of a sudden, Demi started to see him just a little bit differently, and you can see, like, her eyes have changed here, and they're starting to, like, date each other and, and be around one another, but around this same time, this is, you know, like, college was starting, this is, this is like, right before they were going off to college and things, and, and as college started, Demi's whole world kind of fell apart when her dad... Um, who had put on a really good face and owned a bunch of businesses and everything, he had an affair and left his mom and just kind of blew everything up in the entire family. And it so scarred Demi because she was daddy's little girl and, and everything that she had thought was there was no more there. So here are two kids that they've just started dating. All of a sudden, both of their worlds are blown up for what marriage could or should or you know, anything would be. But they remembered a lot of these principles that we had taught them all throughout their high school years. And they started dating. As time went on, um, 
they, they spent a lot of years dating because they were just scared to get married. They were scared to death to get married. But one day, they finally decided that they wanted to get engaged. And so they got engaged. And uh, not long after they got engaged, they called Angel and I. We were already here, so this is not all that long ago. They called us and they said, hey, would you guys be willing to do premarital counseling with us? You've known us for all of our lives. Who better to help us figure out like all the crap that you know we have that's going against us to help us to be able to build a love well done. They might not have said it that way, but that's what they were talking about. We wanna, we don't want to just get married. We want to like be in love and stay in love. So we walked through all that stuff with them, and and then we got to go through this glorious day where they got married, you know, and they they said all the I do's, and we laughed together and and enjoyed because they built such a love and everything together. And we watched as they they said like we're going to not just like like look for a feeling, but we're going to do the hard work. We're committing ourselves to doing that hard work. And they've only been married, you know, like a little over a year as of right now. And, and I'm not going to sit here and try to play it off as everything is perfect. And when I talked to them about this, you know, just here recently, and we talked to them often, they were very honest. And they said, you know, like, we don't have like words of wisdom to give you. I'm like, that's fine. I'm not, you know, looking for anything like that. And, but they talked about how they, they did the hard work. And so I can show you pictures, you know, that show them married and enjoying their life and, and working through the hard stuff. And I can tell you lots of stories about this, but they kind of summed it up in, into a couple phrases. And I just wrote them down here. They said, you know, one of, what we've learned um, is we've learned to love each other, but not the way that we've seen it modeled. So not the way that we've seen it in our families, in our families of origin or anything. We've learned to love each other the way that God, through Jesus, loves us. That's what we've learned. And even though the odds were against us, we're hopeful for a different outcome for us. In learning to submit to one another, we are like Jesus who submitted to us by giving us what was his for us. That's what we do. In learning to submit to one another, this is what we do. In learning to submit to one another, we are like Jesus who submitted to us by giving up what was his, heaven, perfection, everything. He gave it all up for us. We're not just together. We're not just married. We're genuinely in love. So is it possible for two people to fall in love and to stay in love forever? Absolutely. But it doesn't happen just because you fell in love in a big and powerful way. You stay in love by making love a verb. Taking that cue from the one who loves you the most of anyone. You fall in love and, and, who, you know, and who you choose is really important, but it's not why you stay in love forever. It's not why you will in the end have a love well done. That's, that's not what's going to do it. But you stay in love when you learn to mutually submit to one another. When every single day, not because of some big emotional moment that happens or takes place, but just because you decide that the other person is first. And when you do, that thing that is so wonderful about meeting someone new and falling in love it can, it can not only be maintained, but it can, it can thrive and it can even get better. 
I can tell you my only regret with Angel is that I didn't marry her like faster in life. Which her parents were like, she was so young. I don't my only regret is that I didn't marry her faster and that I didn't learn this principle earlier in our marriage. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love and building a love well done, that's the challenge. And so next week, we're going to get really, really specific. What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to mutually submit to each other? And if you want to read ahead, if you want to cheat and get ahead of the class, I want to encourage you to cheat and get ahead of the class. You can start at verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, and you can read all the way on to the end. Here's what I don't suggest, though, that you do in that. I do not suggest that in your relationship with your husband or your wife, you know, significant other sort of thing. I do not suggest that you have conversations about what you read in Ephesians 5:22 to the end together. You might sit on opposite sides of the room if you have conversations about this over the course of this next week, right? You know, but I want, if you want to look ahead at this and to start to think about what would it mean for me to do this, read it, read it for yourselves, read it every day, prime the pump for this conversation next week. You'll be glad that you did, even if you just take one look at it. And if you're not sure about reading the Bible and maybe, you know, it's not a, a, a text that regularly like informs your life you know, or that you think of informing your life. Let me say this, and you can use this with people in your life. You watch or listen to news and different things every day and read things every day that you're not sure about. You read them to get information from, and I can promise you that reading the Bible is just as truthful, if not more truthful, than the news, in my opinion. So what if we said, okay, God, I want what you want for my marriage, for my future marriage, for my kids' marriages? And what if we allowed ourselves to get closer to that mutually submissive kind of love that God has for us? Let me pray, and then we will uh, pick up here next week. So God, um, I'm grateful that... Uh, that you can inform our lives for you know, what you have for us, that you can, you can teach us uh, how to live in a love well done. And I pray that over the course of this week and over the course of these four weeks, that you would be transforming our marriages into the place that it would be what we already want for ourselves. And that we'd be able to teach future generations, our kids and our kids' kids and people, and that they would eventually look at us and say, man, that's the marriage that I want for my life. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information on service times, location, or just to get in touch with us, go to bridgedayton.com.